I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanets LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com. This is the podcast for women who want to create careers and lives they love. I'm your host, Heather Fincher. Welcome to the Powerful Professional Women podcast. I'm excited to have Dee Dee Hapill here today for part two in front of a live audience to share her experience and insight into creating a career and life you love. Dee Dee is a retired U.S. Air Force colonel and sought-after keynote speaker and executive coach. Described by Dr. Brene Brown as one of her leadership heroes and a total badass, Dee Dee's 25 years of military experience makes her no stranger to leading and advising in high-stress environments. Dee Dee draws from her service in pivotal roles in the upper echelons of the Department of Defense to inspire organizations with her candid approach to vulnerable, authentic leadership. Welcome, Dee Dee. I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast. Hi, Heather. It's so wonderful to be back. So in our last episode, you shared your stories and gave us actionable insights on leadership. Thank you again. In this episode, I'm excited to hear more. Let's talk about powerfully creating careers and lives we love. So jumping into a tough question, what was one of the biggest challenges you faced working in a male-dominated environment and how did you overcome it? You know, I get this question a lot and um, I don't think my experience, I don't think I felt challenged in that I didn't have opportunities or I wasn't given opportunities the way my male peers might have. I was. I had a wonderful career with people who really looked out for me. So at first I would have told you, oh, I don't think I had a lot of challenges being a female in a male dominated environment. But it wasn't until I was, I think, you know, we talked about this during the last episode, my time in Iraq. And I realized during my time in Iraq that I was spending a lot more time being the person other people went to, to talk when they were struggling. I would talk to my male peers and I would say, what do you do when, you know, your superintendent wants to come in and they're really struggling with their partner at home? And, you know, like you just have so much to do, but you also want to be there for them and you want to be that person that they can lean on. And they would say, oh, I don't know. My, no one ever comes and talks to me about that stuff. And then at the same time, like they would come talk to me about where they were struggling and why the boss was mad at them or why they're, you know, they're having an argument with their partner at home or their teenage children. And, and so I started to realize, wow, the story I'm telling myself is that because I'm a woman, people feel more comfortable opening up to me. People feel more comfortable sharing their personal stories where they're struggling. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be the kind of person that people trust enough to share those moments with. But at the same time, as a leader, I have the same amount of hours in my day as my male peers. And I still have to get all those same things done. And I realized that I was spending a lot of time and emotional labor that my male peers weren't. Not that they shouldn't, but they just weren't because people would see them and they were not exhibiting the kind of signs that made people trust them enough to share those things. Now, there are certainly some male, male leaders out there who do. So I'm not entirely saying this is a male-female thing. 
but I think for the majority of it, it you know, there, I think there are some general generalities that probably are, are real and do exist. And my male peers just weren't, they weren't spending that kind of time. And so that's when I started to realize like, wow, as a woman, the emotional labor I have to put energy toward and the time I spend dealing with people does have an impact on me as a leader. It means I have to be more conscious of filling up my own tank so that I can be emotionally there for others. And it means I have to get much better at delegating <laughs> so that the things that need to get done can get done. And I have to be much better with discernment on what do I, what, what are those things that only I can do and what are the things that I can get support in doing? And honestly, being a trusted ear for someone may be that thing that only I can do. Mm. And I can't delegate that. So it was that realization and then also making the decision that that is where I will put my time. But I don't see my, I didn't see my male peers happen to do that as much. Right, right. That was an unexpected, unexpected response. And I was definitely, I was going to ask, like, what would you advise yourself, like looking back about the, uh, you call, you call mm -hmm. emotion, you articulate emotional labor. Mm -hmm. And what I hear you saying is that um, it's, it's not about not doing it because you, you, that might be, like you said, the one thing that's, mo that's really valuable that you can give in leadership. It's about delegation and really self-care. Is there anything mm -hmm. else that shows up for you that you would advise any other woman who's going or who, a person who's dealing with carrying the emotional labor? Yeah, you know, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. And it's another Dr. Brene Brown quote that really just, when I heard it for the first time, I was like, damn, there is nothing more true as a leader. And the quote is, a leader must spend a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings, or they will squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. That's a long quote, but let me tell you, there is nothing more true about leadership and effective leadership. You either become a leader who can learn to navigate fears and feelings, yours and those of your team, or you will spend all of your time managing ineffective and unproductive behavior. So to be fair, my male peers may have been managing ineffective and unproductive behavior that could have been prevented had they had more comfort navigating fears and feelings. I don't know, just assumptions, right? But I would say any advice I were to give to anyone, and I'm not a big advice giver because all of our situations are different. Yeah. If I could give any advice, it would be learn the tools and skills you need to be able to navigate fears and feelings effectively, yours and others. And that's a big ask but it is foundational. And so I'm really grateful that I've had a lot of practice in that. I've had a lot of practice sitting with people and hearing their fears and being a space where they can share their feelings. And I do believe it has saved me in the long run. So it sounds like you had a, a pretty strong grasp of navigating fears and feelings. If you were able to give that much, like we can't give it we don't have it right so are you willing to share like how did you develop that ability to navigate your own fears and feelings as a leader um i think uh 
It's probably a little, I don't know. I'm going to say this out loud and I don't know if I agree with myself, <laughs> which is one of my favorite things to say. I'm going to say this, but I don't know if I agree with myself. <laughs> For me, it feels a little like art. Some of us may be more naturally inclined to be able to stay in that space. And it's a skill you can learn. You can learn the dynamics of drawing, right? You can learn the technical aspects of art. Maybe art isn't a great example, but that's what I'm going with. And I do think like I might be more naturally inclined and comfortable with it. And by learning tools and skills, I'm even more so today. I'll give you I'll, I'll give you a great example. Um, empathy is actually not something that comes naturally to me. I'm not naturally an empathetic person. I'm very much a problem solver. I very much want to get things done. If you come to me with a problem, I'm like vanilla ice. Yo, I'll solve it. You know, like <laughs> I, I go right into what do we need to do to fix this? My partner is a naturally empathetic person. So it was the start of COVID and my mom works in a grocery store in my hometown and she's a cashier. And it's the start of COVID and this woman comes through her line and the woman has a cart full of groceries and she's just putting all the groceries on the car, on the, the conveyor belt and is explaining to my mom that all her kids are back home and she's suddenly cooking three more meals a day and it's so tiring. And sometimes she's just like, and she does this thing with her lips, right? Where she kind of like exasperated, right? Sure. And a little bit of saliva flies out and lands on my mom's arm, right? And my poor mom goes off. My mom's like a little sailor, man. She just, <laughs> some colorful language. It does, I don't fall far from that tree. And so my mom just went off on this lady, a fear reaction, right? We didn't know what was happening. Oh. It was the beginning of COVID. No one was wearing, you know, my mom was in Iowa. No one was wearing masks. And so she comes home and she's telling me about this on FaceTime. And I right away go, mom, have you talked to your manager about getting those plexiglass shields? Mom, are you wearing long sleeve shirts? Mom, are you wearing your mask? Like I'm right away blaming her for not being prepared and trying to solve it. Oh, well, the manager, I'll call the manager, right? Like that's what I'm telling her. Like I know that manager. I went to high school with him. I will call him because I'm a colonel. I fix things. And <laughs> She does what she always does, but she kind of like leans back, disconnects, you know, never mind, never mind. And the conversation is over. Well, my partner now, we had just started dating. So he was fairly new in this space. He comes downstairs and I finally am like, finally, I'm going to have someone to back me up. So Stefan comes walking down the stairs and I'm super excited because now I have, you know, I have backup. I'm going to win this argument once and for all with my mom. And he comes down the stairs and I say, mom, tell Stefan what happened. And so Stefan, just like this on a video, comes in, leans in. My mom tells him the whole story, gets to the very end. And Stefan goes, that must have been so hard. Oh. And I watch my mom just melt. And she goes, oh. yes, it was. And it was this moment for me where I realized Empathy is as simple as that. Oh. He leaned in and all he said was, that must have been so hard. And I thought this whole time, empathy is about having the right answer and 
knowing just the perfect thing to say. But the truth is, that must have been so hard is probably the right thing 99% of the times because when someone is struggling, it's hard, right? And he just did it so naturally. And here's what I know about empathy. It is an immediate connector. So like two weeks later, I call my mom and I'm talking to her and I say, I got some bad news. And I don't even know what it was I was sharing, but I say, I got some bad news. And she goes, you didn't break up with Stefan, did you? Like, <laughs> don't, no. don't do that. <laughs> don't worry, Stefan's not going anywhere. But it showed me like he met her first with empathy. That connection for her was so strong. Immediate. Yes. She'd never met him. They'd only met on FaceTime. Right. She right. immediately was connected to him because all he did was show her a little empathy in a way I never had because I'm a fixer. That moment and these skills have really taught me that while I may have a natural inclination, I can learn it. So now I pause. I think about what does empathy sound like? What would it look like to connect first and then try to help and solve, right? But they are skills you can learn. Yes. And thinking about when, like, as I've learned, like, the, uh, circling back, I think the original question had to do with how did, how did you learn to connect with your feelings and fears and feelings, right? Mm-hmm. And now that you're, t- like, through your conversation around empathy, I think for me, as I've learned how to feel fear, anger, sadness, things that I shut down in myself for, for years, yeah. uh, it was inside of relationship and connection with someone bringing that empathy with me so that I could just like when I finally started feeling have it come out and then being able to like having the space to feel then I could learn how to manage and feel something without being um, hijacked having having it hijack my system right yeah does any of that connect with you yeah I mean um we so much of it connects with me because when I hear you say that especially I think women, we were told we are not allowed to be emotional in the workspace. And we were told we had to stuff all that down at work. And, you know, I had the opportunity to teach a class uh, at Georgetown Women in Leadership and National Security and Foreign Policy. And there was a study I read that talked about who makes a better leader, men or women. And I was like, oh, this should be interesting. And it really first had to identify like what makes good leadership and that's changing. What we thought was good leadership in the past was very tactical based, right? Have good um, decision-making, good strategy, good vision. And that's really shifting. And what they did was they showed this timeline and they showed that early in men's careers, They are perceived as better leaders when asked about decision-making, strategy, vision. And they are not rated high in things like collaboration, communication, um, connection, which were also important leadership skills. So men were rated high in one, women were rated high in the other. And then what it showed is that over time, we kind of do this and everyone evens out in the fact that men as they get over get older 
become better at collaboration, connection, communication, and still possess those great skills. And women become better at vision, decision-making, strategy, but still possess communication, collaboration, connection. And what I took from that is, ah, don't hide the things you're already good at because you've been told they don't matter. They do matter. So own that, step into it, because those are the skills that actually will result in you being perceived as a good leader. And you can continue to learn the other things just the same way. Like it was amazing to watch as men let go of ego, as men leaned more into their own humanity, they developed these skills that women were perceived as having more of early in their career, just the same as we leaned into the skills that men were perceived as having more of earlier in their career. And in the end, what that tells you is we need both. So don't discount the feelings and the emotions you experience because they're there for a reason and they're helping you. They're teaching you something. And that's what people want. So for me, it was this moment where I was like, yeah, I'm really going to lean into that. I'm going to really own that and honor that. Yes. Can you talk a little bit more about something? So you mentioned that women can be, the message can be like, don't be emotional at work. Mm-hmm. But then you're talking about one of the valuable qualities of leadership is is like feeling and authenticity and vulnerability. And talk a little bit, if you would, to the point of how can we be fully who we are in authentically, like you when you have feelings, when you're when you're vulnerable inside of boundaries. I, I don't know. There's something there that I want you to speak to. I'm not really sure. No, I think you you nailed it. You nailed it. Because what we hear is we need to be more vulnerable at work, which is a great like bumper sticker, right? It's we're hearing it. It's what do we call it? It's a buzzword these days. <laughs> the part that's missing is we need to be more, we need to be more comfortable with our vulnerability so it can support us doing the things we need to do at work. But being but being vulnerable without boundaries is not being vulnerable. And so you have to know who can I be vulnerable with? Like who has earned the right to hear my story? How am I behaving in vulnerability? Which I think that's the part I focus on most. Most people hear vulnerability and they think I need to be vulnerable. I need to share hard things. But that actually isn't the part of vulnerability that gets us the most at work. The part of vulnerability that gets us the most at work is when we hold back our gifts, when we don't share our ideas, when we don't speak up if something is unethical, when we don't hold people accountable because we're afraid we might not be doing it the right way, when we don't have hard conversations because we're afraid we're going to say it the wrong way. Like That's all the part of vulnerability that we actually need to be exploring. Sharing my humanity and the hard moments in my life, that may or may not show up at work. It should show up somewhere, whether that's my partner, my friends, my therapist, like who do I get to let my humanity out with? And to some degree, how do I show my humanity at work so others can show theirs? Like I'm a big proponent of that, but that doesn't mean I've shared every hard thing that's happened in my life. I'm a pretty open person, but I still don't, right? But can I lean into a hard conversation around race? Or does the feeling of vulnerability of I might say it the wrong the wrong way, I might say the wrong thing, I might show up in a way I don't want to, does that hold me back from having it? 
you know, that's the vulnerability we need to be talking about. Yes. Got it. Thank you. I'm sad to share that we need to wrap this up, but I want to, I want to ask in, in closing, you have had such a successful career, Didi. And is there anything like thinking about building a career in life you love, just that concept? Is there any advice that you would give your younger self? Anything to think about sooner or anything to do differently or consider? I think I would tell my younger self, you have it all within you. You just have to trust that. It's all there. It might need a little tweaking. It might need some reps, you know, some muscle reps, but it's in there. The muscle's in there. You just have to practice it. So trust that. That's what I would say. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dee for being on the podcast. I'm so grateful for all that you have courageously shared. I want to thank our live audience who have been with Dee and me today for all of your support and positive energy. And I'm grateful to each one of our listeners. I hope you leave this episode inspired and empowered. Let's get out there and create careers and lives we love. I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Castellanos LLP, a leading law firm in tax controversy, white-collar criminal defense, and government negotiations, with offices in New York City and Washington, D.C. Visit www.kflaw.com.